to be thankful and then to try to pay attention to that waistline this week, right? Feeling that, like first day, you know, okay, take the belt out, and then the second day, who needs pants, right? Uh, okay, I'll tell you what, uh, good to be with you. I'm so thankful for so many of you and for your uh, love for this church, for your love for the Lord, your love, uh, our love, all the good ways that God is blessing uh, this congregation in this, this season and others. We've been going through the gospel of Luke, inch by inch, I might say. For those of you who have been really paying attention in the last few weeks, you might have said, didn't we read that scripture like three weeks ago, and then again last week, and then here it is again about loving our enemies? When are we going to move past lo- about loving our enemies? And, be- and well, we, we gained a few verses in, our, in uh, the series today, and we'll get into that. In fact, we might put up the next slide there. Oh. Judge not, and, and ye shall not be judged, or we might say, as we've heard it many times, judge not, lest ye be judged, and there's a lot of settings where those words have been spoken, how often, in fact, that they're quoted or misquoted or uh, surprisingly known by all the world. Okay, even those who might not pay attention to the Bible seem to know those words. And again, that particular translation, one of the last holdouts of the King James Bible, and we might see it in a meme or a picture or online, maybe another way of saying, back off, Jack, all right, or you do you, I'll do me, or as Andy Stanley put it, thou shalt not size me up and write me off, and all the ways that we see this particular phrase come out. And the passage certainly indicates that we should stay out of the judging business. And yet we might say, and it might be interesting to reflect for just a minute, isn't it true that religious people, and maybe you could say ourselves, often get judgy very quickly? How many would agree with that, that we are kind of judgy? in the way we, about half. How many don't think we're very judgy? How many didn't vote? About half? Just thinking about that for a minute. Why do we do this? And I was trying to review this myself. We're pretty sure we're on the side of truth. And, and I think we, 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 we certainly believe that we're on the side of God. And, and therefore, we're on the side of right. And maybe there's even more to it than that, even though those are some really some interesting reasons why we might be judgy. Maybe sometimes we lack self-awareness. Because what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to what we know and to others. And so if we feel justified in judging. Or maybe sometimes we dumb down God's holiness. And we elevate our own. And therefore it seems to give us permission to judge, and we might call this a self-righteous 
person. Someone said the world is full of sinners who think they are saints. And saints who think they are sinners. You see, I think it's the saints, true saints, who know themselves. And it seems to me that maybe it is one of the great dangers of being a Christian, or as I read the Old Testament, being a Jew. Because they were, seemed like at times an incredibly judgmental people, discriminating themselves against others. But I could say, even being a Muslim judgy. And maybe that comes because we've got a standard, a standard we're trying to live by. And when others don't meet that standard, whether we do or not, maybe that's immaterial at the moment, we feel like there's a right to judge. So what does our text mean? What is this text trying to say to us? Do not judge words from Jesus, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Well, I don't think it means that we can't have preferences for sure. If I say pepperoni pizza, you say, well, no, I'll prefer veggie or somebody else, bacon and pineapple. Can we make that kind of judgment? Take a vote this morning on our pizza preferences? I think that'd be all right. But then we make judgments all the time, don't we? So what does this passage mean? If we didn't, we couldn't have gotten here this morning. We had to make judgments on when to go and when to stop and when to turn and when to break and when to speed up and when to slow down. And pretty much life is about constantly making judgments of some kind. And if we're not to make any judgments, then it will be impossible, it seems to me, to both hear the Bible and obey it. Let's look at it for another way. In fact, all this whole section is about mercy. If we can have mercy on another person, that, can we have mercy if there are no judgments? There is, ju- there, there is judgment without mercy, but there is no such thing as mercy without judgment. In other words, we've made a judgment, therefore mercy can be extended. And if we go on with our Bibles from this chapter, this section in Luke, Luke 6, Jesus praises Peter in the next chapter for making a correct judgment, Luke 7, 42. Later, Jesus praises those who listen to Him for their ability to judge others correctly, Luke chapter 12 and verse 57. 
So let me put it this way. Jesus is not teaching us to never judge. Now, I want you to hold my feet to the fire on this because I could be wrong because if you read just the words, it's exactly what he says. Don't judge, lest you be judged. But I think I can explain this a little bit more. But Jesus is not teaching us to never judge, but to judge appropriately, or might I say carefully, or might I say even reluctantly, and we'll get into some of the specifics of that in just a minute on what that looks like. So the passage in context, judge not, don't judge, kicks off the passage, and by judge I might mean criticize or compare me to others or confront me about my behavior, but there is no period in the, in the text. It continues on, or you too will be judged. Let's put it this way. You're sizing up others, you're measuring and evaluating, this is coming back on you. Now, you're going to have to think about this this week, because I'll bet not many of us have really probed what that might mean. In other words... The text says, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. That's the literal words from Jesus. In other words, with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. With the judgment you used to judge, you will be judged. It will come back on you. So I ask myself, well, then how do I want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? I'll tell you. I want to be judged not. I do enough of my own judgment. Feel like I get judged a lot. Do I really need your judgment too? I don't think so. How do you feel about it? I want to be encouraged not judged. I want to be loved, not judged. I want you to understand my background, my personal situation, my family, my backstory, my entire story, my heart, not just what you're observing. This is what I want from you, and so if you're going to judge me, do it in light of all of me. In fact, if you're going to judge Do it for me, not to me, not against me. The ancient rabbi Hillel said it this way, judge not your neighbor until you come into his place. I love that. Until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Until you know the circumstances. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul will even 
go further and say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, at least related to those who are on the outside of the church. He goes so far as to say this. Now get this, church. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Can you believe that's in the Bible? Coming from the Apostle Paul? Well, let's keep at it. Does that mean we never judge? I want you to know and I want you to hear that the passage isn't over. There's more to come. And there are three illustrations. I want to talk about two of them. Beginning in verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus gives this illustration of the measuring of the corn, a process which was carried on by this long-established pattern where the seller crouches on the ground with the measure. And he fills the measure three-fourths full and gives it a good shake to make the grain settle down. Then he fills the measure to the top and he shakes it again. Then he presses the corn with both hands on top. Then he heaps it into a cone, tapping and pressing the grain together. And sometimes he'll even bore a hole in the cone to pour in a few more kernels of grain until there is no more room for a single grain And this guarantees an absolutely full measure. Then the fold of the robe creates a little pocket. And some interpreters say the very fact that you're having to use your robe as opposed to some other container to carry this in means it's coming out of generosity. You were surprised by what is being given. And the full measure is poured into your lap. This comes from God into the lap of the one who gives. This is the context of our passage. God, then, the passage goes on to say, with the the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. God rewards us according to how we have measured, how we have given. How we measure others can be harsh or generous, and how we measure others is how we will be measured by God. It seems to me that if we could just get that alone, if we could get what Jesus is driving at just in this little section of Scripture alone, it would overhaul our spirit of judgment.
So you see, the entire thrust of the passage, as I've tried to see, and I, I keep seeing it myself more clearly each week, is all about our generous God. And though I began with judge not in today's text, the passage didn't start there. It started, but love your enemies and do good to them, as we read in verse 35, without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is the section preceding the conversation on judgment. I think in this whole bit, Jesus is telling His disciples that the God He knows, His Father, this God of the Bible is extravagantly generous. Look at the mercy He's had on each one of us. And if this is how God measures do I want to use some other standard like my own? I don't think so. Now, is the lesson over? No, it goes on. Another illustration. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. And how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why do we take the plank out of our own eye? Because we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly. And when you begin to understand how messed up you are. What is this passage trying to say? What do you need to do? You need to look at yourself. You need to see your sin. When you begin to see how messed up your brother is, what do you need to do? You need to look at yourself. You need to see your sin. And Jesus in this passage is calling us to self-accountability. And you just, some of us need to just go ahead and get a dozer or a bobcat to get that plank removed. And when I am tempted to pass judgment on you, I need to stop and examine me. 
and I'll be making some changes to me, some upgrades because of you. Thank you. So then I take the plank out of my own eye. And that's a process. I doubt whether that's a one-time thing. But then what? Here's the imperative of the gospel. I want you to hear this. Following Jesus never stops with what's in it for me. When I look at you and see the mess, what do I do? I look at my own life, I remove the plank, but I don't stop. Why? Because to be a follower of Jesus is to help others follow Him too. And when I can see clearly because the plank is gone, I am able to take some tweezers and remove the speck from my brother's eye. And I do this because I care about him. I don't want him or her to destroy their life. For me to not say or do something, in fact, would not be love at all. Love compels me. put this in the form of five takeaways. I'm going to put them up there one at a time. We're going to zip through them. I want to summarize. We'll be finished. But I believe there's some there's some message from the Word of God for us as we process these. The first is this. You will set the standard by which you will be judged. Sounds strange, but I don't know how else to interpret what Jesus is saying. Number two, you need to watch for a spirit that emphasizes others' guilt without corresponding grace. That is having a spirit of condemnation or criticism without a corresponding avenue for redemption. Number three, take a close look at yourself and make sure any judgment comes, judgment to others, comes after a thorough self-examination. The passage insists in our self-accountability 
that we take another look at ourselves. Number four, based on the golden rule, which is embedded all the way through this text, give the benefit of the doubt. Isn't that what you want in the way someone might judge you? Number five, ask yourself, is my judgment encouraging the other toward God? In other words, the purpose of making the judgment in the first place is for one reason only, to help them know the Father. Summary, there is so much more to the passage than judge not. In fact, there is more than looking at our own sin. There is more than leaving others alone. Jesus is about generous mercy and grace, and that means caring about others in every way. And the entire passage is soaked in the sauce of generosity. This is who God is. And so we address our issues in order to help others with theirs. What's the end goal? What's the end goal, Jesus? What are you driving at with all of this? So that we can all see. so that I can see and see Him clearly, so that you can see Him clearly. No logs or specks in anyone's eyes. Actively receiving God's love and mercy is both the means and the end.